Let's stand together at this time. We're going to be looking in Ephesians chapter 3, a message I call Bold, Confident Access. Bold, Confident Access. You'll see why. Uh, Verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. And may God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. This section of scripture is uh, about the dispensation of grace. Paul called it that in verse 1 of chapter 3. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word. A big part of that dispensation of grace had to do with what he calls the unsearchable riches of Christ. And we've spent the last few weeks considering uh, those unsearchable riches as they are spelled out in this passage. But today, uh, the message is going to be built around that concept so wonderfully presented, access. Access. Now, probably the most uh, frequent matter involving the concept of access in our life today is when you get that message that shows up on your computer screen that says, access denied. Uh, Y'all seen that one? Maybe it's just me. I mean, this is my computer. It's my information, my files. I type in all the stuff and it says, access denied. I, I hate that message. Every time I see it, and I do see it every now and then, uh, it just makes me want to go get my claw hammer out of my toolbox. I'll show you access right here, buddy. And that might make me feel better, but it's not going to get me into my files or information. It just won't work that way. Access is important to us in a lot of different areas, but nowhere is the concept of access any more important than when it comes to having access to Almighty God. Access to God. Now, that concept of access is presented a couple of ways in Scripture. And uh, in our text today, uh, he is talking about the access that we have to God now in this life. In this life that you and I are living right now We have access to God. And when we're talking about our access to God in this life, in the here and now, we're talking about our prayer life primarily. Uh, How do we have access to by prayer and by fellowship with Almighty God? That's the primary concept of this passage. And in fact, in verse 14, he's going to go on and say, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father. So we know that he is thinking as he introduces us, us this concept of access, He is thinking about that access that we have by prayer to Almighty God through our fellowship time then with God. We can have this fellowship. We have access unto God. Now, in order to understand that, of course, we have to uh, look back to the Old Testament uh, because in the Old Testament, their concept of their access to God by prayer was a little different uh, than what we have on this side of Calvary. So there's that access to prayer, access to God through prayer and fellowship. Uh, Then, of course, the Scripture presents the whole concept of access to God in reference to our eternal access to God. That is, what we're going to have after we die. Uh, Are we going to go to heaven 
Are we going to spend time in the presence of God? Do we have access to God? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, says, We know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, and he's talking about this body, our, our human body, he says, If this tabernacle or tent be destroyed, we have a building. What a contrast. Listen, uh, right now the best we've got is a tent. This dwelling place is a temporary shelter at best. But we have a building of God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Can't you say amen to that? Amen. This, uh, this tabernacle one day is going to stop working. In spite of the best efforts of medical science, it's going to happen. But we have a building of God, a house not made with hands eternal in heavens. Verse 5, then he goes on, Now he that hath wrought us for the self same thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Unless you hear or go to a, a, a lot of funeral services, you don't hear that sermon preached very often in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, but it's just as true on Sunday morning as it is at a funeral service. Uh, to be absent from the body means that somebody has died. To be present in the body means that we're all just like we are right now. Our spirit and our body is in the same place. The spirit's inside of us. Our heart is beating. Our personality is working. Our mind is still functioning. We are in the body. And as long as we are in the body, we are separated from God. We cannot be in this body in the presence of Almighty God. Why? It would obliterate us. The glory of God would obliterate us. Sinful flesh is fashioned for this earth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you don't have time to go into all that this morning, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us there's a body that is fashioned for this earth, terrestrial, but we're looking for a heavenly body that is a body to come that is not stained by sin, and it is, as what Paul says here, it is eternal in the heavens. So as long as we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. But when we're absent from the body as a believer in Christ, present with the Lord. Not a person in this building probably uh, hasn't felt the icy fingers of death on somebody you loved. Sometime in your family, you've been touched by the reality of death. If your loved one's a believer in Christ, when they close their eyes on this world, they opened them on the world to come. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. So to have access with God, to, out to God then, is a really big thing when we think about our eternal access. And that is accomplished for us through Jesus Christ. Here again, as he does in, in our text this morning, he talks about confidence. Oh, I want you to be confident about your eternal standing with God. There's a lot of things that it's okay to be pretty sure about, but it is not okay to be pretty sure about your eternal destiny. I want you to be confident about it, to know that you know that when you die, you're going to go to heaven and be with the Lord. You have access unto God, and the way you have that access is not by your good works. 
It's not by how you wear your hair or how much money you have in the bank or all the good things you've done. If you have access to God, it is by faith in Jesus Christ. It's because you know that Jesus Christ died on the cross. But he didn't die for his own sins. He died for yours. You have believed on him. You've trusted him. You've asked him to be your Savior, and he has. And when you do that, because we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we have access to God by faith in Jesus Christ, that eternal access. But this morning we're going to be talking about our access to God in Christ. In the Old Testament, uh, when we talked about access to God by prayer, our fellowship, in the Old Testament, their access to God by prayer was primarily in a place, and that place was the temple of God in Jerusalem. We can get a glimpse of that when King Solomon built the temple, and he dedicated that temple. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 31, he said, and this is a part of his prayer, when anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before your altar in this temple. See, he's praying about the temple of God. In Jerusalem. Uh, then hear in heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the wicked, bringing his way on his head, justifying the righteous by giving him according to righteousness. Verse 33, when your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they've sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and confess your name and pray and make supplication to you in this temple, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave their fathers. Now, if you read in 1 Kings chapter 8, don't do it right now, but <laughs> if you do that later, uh, you'll find that there was provision made for people to pray toward the temple, but still there was that understanding. Their access to God was through the temple. Jesus Christ quoted from Isaiah and Jeremiah, who both said, My house, that is the temple of God in Jerusalem, shall be called of all nations a house of prayer. He rebuked those people because he said, you've turned it into a den of thieves. My house will be called a house of prayer. That was because God had set his name there and he promised that when people went there and they offered those sacrifices and cleansed themselves from their sins and then they prayed their prayers, made their petition to God in that place, God said, I will hear you. To this day, if you go to Jerusalem, they will show you the Western Wall. It was famously called the Wailing Wall for many years because the Jewish people did not have access to it. The last remaining stones of the Old Testament temple, and they were foundational stones, by the way, and so they were huge. But to this day, if you go there, now they have access to it. You will find people from all nations going there and praying to God uh, by uh, sometimes even putting their head against the stones. You will see paper where people have marked, written down the petitions, their prayers, and forced them into the cracks of those stones until you can't get another piece of paper in it anywhere because they have that strong belief that if they just pray to God from there and they have that re for a reason, God promised that in the Old Testament. When you are serious about prayer, you come to this place, and I'll hear you. Probably the best example of that, though it's a, a kind of a touchy, uh, sensitive subject, had to do with the famous prayers of an Old Testament woman named Hannah. 
Uh, Hannah was married to a man named Elkanah, and Hannah was not able to have children. Uh, in those days, this was before the temple, there was just a tabernacle. It was not in Jerusalem. It was located in a place called Shiloh. Year by year, the Bible says, Elkanah would pack up his family and take them to the tabernacle. They would offer up sacrifices, and then after their time of sacrifice, they would pray. And every year, Hannah, instead of partaking and sharing in the sacrifice as it was their custom to do, and Elkanah was so concerned about Hannah and her petition that he would even give her the best, the most expensive kind of sacrifice to offer. So that they were hoping then, but by her then having this uh, very large, uh, expensive animal to offer as a sacrifice, that God would maybe hear them that Hannah could get pregnant. But year after year, she was disappointed. Of course, you know that God did hear her prayer. You know that she did conceive a son, and not just any son. His name was Samuel, and Samuel wasn't just anybody. He became the, uh, the last uh, uh, judge of the Old Testament, one of the first prophets uh, that we have, uh, who's both a prophet and priest, uh, uh, Samuel. Uh, Samuel, yes, uh, was Hannah's answer. And, and I know that God doesn't always answer that prayer even today. As a lot of people pray to God. Uh, wanting to get pregnant and they don't. I can no more answer for you why that God doesn't always answer that question in the affirmative than I can answer why God doesn't heal everybody I ask him to heal. I can't explain it. What I want you to understand is under the Old Testament economy, God placed his name in the temple. And he said, when you want to pray to me, you either pray facing that temple or... If you're really serious, make a pilgrimage. Go there, offer a sacrifice, cleanse yourself, and you pray in that temple. It was costly. It was complicated. That was the Old Testament economy. Now, when we read about having access to God through our prayers in Jesus Christ, I want you to understand that our access to God in Jesus Christ is set against that Old Testament principle. You see, when we are praying to God today, our access is no longer in that special place, a temple. Uh, our access to God is in a special person, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Now, it's become popular today to hear uh, people, and, and I guess God's people always have a tendency maybe to focus in on a place. And, and here lately I, I've seen a lot of people talking about having a prayer room or a war room or, or maybe you saw a book or a movie about having a special place. I'm not going to tell you this morning that's all wrong because it's not all wrong. Uh, sometimes you have a special place that means a lot to you. Maybe you've experienced God in a special place. I, I don't mind telling you. Some of the greatest things that I've experienced God doing in my life have happened in places like this and sometimes right here. I mean, it's wonderful what God does when we meet together. And so it's a natural thing for us when we think, well, I, I really want to pray to God. Let me go up to the church. That's okay. I'm not telling you that's wrong. I'm not telling you it's wrong to have a prayer closet or a special place that you like to go to. Maybe it's up on a mountain. Maybe it's somewhere special that you like to go to to pray to God. There's nothing wrong with that as long as you understand that our access to God through prayer today is not in a place. That was the Old Testament. 
Our access to God in prayer today is in a person, not a place. I'm not telling you that if you want to pray and you want to come up here and pray, uh, that that's not a good thing to do. You can do that during the week. We're open most of the time, and you can come here. Now, I will warn you, if you're looking for a quiet place during the week, this probably is not it. Some of you laugh because we know we got kids running through here all the time, and and uh, my office is not quiet, and uh, even though we're a long way from the nursery department, sometimes it, and, the, and the, what they call it, sometimes it gets a little loud in here. Uh, I want you to know, our access to God today is not in a place. No matter where you are, Jesus Christ is with you. And because our access is in Him, you have full access to God at any time. And he will hear and answer, respond to your prayer. We hear a lot today about posture. How uh, we'll forever discuss posture. Um, how do you stand, uh, kneel, sit, whatever? Uh, listen, if you want to raise your hand, head to, to heaven like this, and raise your hands and pray, that's perfectly fine. As long as you're not doing it to make a show, uh, then uh, the Bible condemns any kind of thing that we would do for a show. Uh, but that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with bowing your head like this. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of every one of us. When we bow our head, uh, we're just as much facing <laughs> the, the face of God as we do when we look up this way. Um, I, I, you know, if we get too technical about it, we talk, start talking about, well, you've got to raise your head and look up in order to face God. Well, what would you do if you was on the South Pole? What about them poor people down in Australia? They're looking the wrong way all the time. Uh, access to God is not tied to a place, and neither is it tied to a posture. You want to get on your face and pray, that's appropriate. You want to get on your knees and pray, that's appropriate. You want to come to this place and pray, that's appropriate. You want to get in a closet and pray, that's just fine. You want to pray in your car going to work, please. <laughs> uh, please. Please. Keep your eyes open. <laughs> but please, please. Uh, you want to pray in school? Please. Let them try to stop you. They, they can't. Nobody can stop you from praying if you want to. Access to God is not in a place. It's not in a posture. It's in a person. Having established that then this morning, there are three words that are used in this passage to describe this access. Boldness, confidence, and faith. We'll look at them quickly this morning. First of all, notice the boldness. And the classic passage on approaching God with boldness is found in Hebrews chapter 4, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy. And find grace to help in time of need. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. First of all, this passage invites us to keep on coming. Literally, it says, let us keep on continually. Let us continually keep coming unto God. There are times maybe when we don't feel much like talking to God. If you don't feel like talking to God, there's probably a one-word answer. Why? Sin. Sin. 
That's why the Bible tells us when we approach the throne of grace, ask for mercy. I sometimes imagine what it, must be, what it might be like to come to God in prayer without having to say, God, forgive me. I'm sorry. But that is not the experience that the Bible presents to us. Graciously deals with our need and mercy deals with our need for forgiveness of our sins. And both of those are given to us freely in Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 1 tells us if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And just to be crystal clear about it, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5 tells us who to confess to. But there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So in Christ Jesus, we have boldness to continually, to keep coming unto God. To keep seeking His grace, which contains two aspects. It contains the mercy that we need for our sins, the forgiveness of our sins. And it gives to us then the things that we stand in need of. Boldness. Second word then, confidence. Confidence. We have boldness and access with confidence. So this access is not just a bold access, but it is a confident access access that is that when we call upon God we have confidence knowing that God's going to hear us I read one time a blog not too many uh, months ago uh, written by an atheist and I, I do that a lot I, I like to hear about what they're thinking if they're writing uh, I try to think about it especially if they're writing about Christianity religious things this particular atheist was writing about prayer he described it in an intriguing way he said, prayer is something practiced by Christian people to an omnipotent God uh, by means of a form of mental telepathy. That's what he called it, mental telepathy, in the sense that we are thinking things and God then hears us. He called it mental telepathy. And they say, Brother Richard, you tell us that prayer is telepathy. No, I'm not that telling you that. I say, Brother Richard, do you believe in telepathy? Well, you know, there's many, many a time I'm driving down the road and I get to thinking, I need to call my wife and my phone will ring and it's her. My mama used to do me the same way before she died. I mean, I'd be thinking, sitting at home back then, it was on a landline. I'd be sitting at home thinking, I need to call mom. The, mo the phone would ring. And it was mom. So if you're asking me, do I believe in mental telepathy in a sense that I think that my wife and my mother could read my mind, my answer is yes. <laughs> As I do. Mama used to tell me when I was a kid that it was written all over my face, made me want to wash my face before I ever went to see her. I tell you, I... <laughs> Do I believe that prayer is mental telepathy? No, but I'll t I don't have any biblical reason for believing that, but I'll know what I do believe. I believe God knows our thoughts. Yes. I believe that God hears us even when we, certainly when we speak, even when we don't speak aloud. I, I do believe that God hears that. Wish I had the time to develop that more. But let's look in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence. There it is again. 
This is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. What a great passage. James warned us that we can ask amiss. James chapter 4 and verse 3, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Uh, that's James' way of reminding sometimes instead of asking, praying according to God's will, we're praying about my will. Our Lord Jesus himself taught us how to pray when he said, Father, nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. And we need to attach that on every prayer in some way. Because we're not real good as people. We're just frail human beings and we're not real good at really being able to tell what it is that God wants and what it is that it's just something that I want. I'm not saying that everything we want is bad. It's not. But not everything we want is according to the will of God. Do you understand that? But Jesus promised when we pray according to the will of God, God is going to grant our petitions but there are times when we pray that it's not what God wants for us. While we're given the right to pray about everything, the Bible does that in Philippians uh, chapter 2, uh, then everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, chapter 3 rather, let your requests be made known unto God. In everything then we have the opportunity of praying to God. But we'll have to acknowledge that there's a lot of things we pray about that God has no interest in at all. Here's a guy, 20 feet up a tree. It's November. The wind is howling out of the north. It's 15 degrees. He's been up there since an hour before daylight. It's 9 o'clock in the morning, and he is freezing. You know why he's up a tree in November at 9 o'clock in the morning for four hours when it's freezing, looking into a north wind. Maybe he gets the idea, Lord, man, I sure do wish you'd send me a big buck. Now, I've heard those testimonies. I prayed that, and I looked down my shooting line, and there he was, and he was this big. All I could see was horns. I've heard those testimonies. I can't tell you this morning that God is really interested in deer hunting. I, I can't tell you that. If I was really hungry and I was trying to put food on my table for my starving kids, then that makes it a different story. You understand what I'm saying? Do we ever pray about things that are really important to us that maybe as far as God's kingdom work aren't important at all? Probably so. Probably so. But the Holy Spirit's able to take care of those things and hash it all out. And uh, after all, the Bible does say you have not because you ask not. So I try not to be guilty of that. Go ahead and ask. I mean, not God. God say no. It's all right. He has no problem doing that. Confidence. The confidence is because of our access to Jesus Christ, we know when we pray that God hears us. That's the confidence. Lastly, then, there's the faith, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith. And faith has a crucial role. John chapter 16, verse 23 says, In that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. 
to explain that just quickly to you, you know, Jesus is talking about his physical presence. And they had been able to come to him and ask him whatever was on their mind and heart. But that part was going away. That's what he is telling them in this passage. I'm going away, that the Holy Spirit is coming. It is better for you to go, that I go away. And, and the Comforter is going to come. At that day then, verse 26, you shall ask in my name. I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came out from God. You see, there's that belief again, that faith again. Crucial, critical part in our prayer life is faith, believing. Believing, of course, first of all, Jesus Christ as our own personal Savior. And we saw last week one of the uh, incredible, uh, abundant riches of God and Jesus Christ is that when we're saved, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life and mine so that it can accurately be said that Christ lives in you and Christ lives in me by the presence and person and power of the Holy Spirit of God. If you're saved this morning, then the Spirit of God lives in you. And because then you have believed, because he has given to you the earnest of the Spirit. Jesus would say, you don't have to call on me to pray for you. You can pray to God yourself. You can pray to God yourself. He did not say, I'm not going to pray for you, but if you'll ask my mother, Mary, she'll pray for you. That's not in the passage. If you were raised that way or taught that way, I'm not telling you this morning that the people who did that to you were bad or evil people or mean or hateful. They were just not really up to speed on what the Bible says. There's not a place in the Bible where we're instructed to pray to Mary or to ask Mary to pray for us. Jesus himself in this very passage said, I'm not even going to pray for you. You ask the Father. We are taught in Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit makes intercession for us. Sometimes we don't know what to pray for. And the Spirit of God is going to make intercession for us because He lives us in us and He is also uh, Father God Himself. Holy Spirit, Son, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, these three are one. So He knows the mind of the Father and He knows what's going on in our mind and he makes intercession for us then according to the will of God. But Jesus said, you can pray yourself. It is our faith in Jesus Christ that gives us that access. One more thing about access to God in this world and in this life. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20, where two or three gather together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And there he's talking about his New Testament church. He would say it again in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Jesus promised his continuing and abiding presence in his churches when they're gathered together. I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about the people where two or three gather together. we got a whole lot more than that this morning. I don't mind telling you. This morning, beyond a shadow of a doubt, not even close. The most spiritual, godly experiences that I've had with the Lord in my life have been when God's people have been gathered together. 
And when his word is being preached, when songs are being sung, when his name is being exalted and glorified, God does special things here. That's why that by midnight tonight, I'm going to be saying it's Monday, but Sunday's coming. I look forward to this time when we gather together as God's people and we experience his praises and power and his person because he promised that he would meet with us. That's what draws us back week after week after week. At least I hope it does because it's what's supposed to draw us back week after week after week, that opportunity have access to God's Spirit. And not just in my own heart, in my own life, but with other believers as we gather together as a church and we seek Him collectively. I'm not sure I ever knew how powerful that really was until I had the opportunity to start a church. and It was basically when we started just me and my family, one or two others. Sunday morning I got up I'll never forget that feeling that first Sunday. I was excited. Didn't know who was going to be there. We had a hotel conference room uh, reserved. It was under the swimming pool. I didn't care. It was a place to meet. Y'all think I'm making that up. I'm not. It was, it was under the swimming pool. You could imagine what we heard all morning. There was something missing. Next week, it still was. By the next week, I was writing around and emailing and calling and telling people, please, on Sunday morning, pray for me. What was missing is for the first time in my life, I was facing a Sunday without the prayers of God's people. Because I know you folks, y'all get up on Sunday morning and you're praying for this service and you're praying for me and you're praying for God to move, God to work. All of a sudden, I didn't have much of that. And I began to pray and ask people, write and ask people, pray and ask God, God, send us more people who will give us that prayer support we need on Sunday morning. Oh, there's no way for me to accurately describe how powerful it is when God's people gather together in His name to honor and worship and seek His presence and His power. We feel it. We know it's real. It is real. What you feel when you come in this place is not the power of human persuasion. If I thought human persuasion would do it, I, I would do it, but that's a poor substitute. It's not the power of personality. It's not the power of mass presence. It's not the power of anything else that we can produce, humanly speaking. What we feel when we come in this place is the power of the presence of the Spirit of God as Jesus keeps His promise where two or three gather together, assemble together in my name as a church. I'll be with you. Oh, how we need that. This morning, I'm glad to be able to tell you that our access to God is not tied to a place. It's not tied to a posture. It's not even tied to our preferences. It's tied to a person, Jesus Christ. And if you're saved, 
He lives in you. And you have access to Him. In your prayer life, you have access to Him as we gather together as a church family on Sundays and Wednesdays and other times. And you have ultimate confidence that when these eyes close for the last time, your eyes are going to open in the presence of God. Confidence. Let's stand again.